I'm uh, Pastor Brian, one of the teaching pastors here, and it's so good to see all of you in here today. Uh, You got the memo that today would be the most awkward sermon of the whole year because we're in a greater love series, and today, as we've been talking about the three types of love that the Greek language has for the one word love that we have, when you read your Bibles, you read the word love in there in the New Testament, and We have one word, and in Greek, there are four words. So unless you have a Strong's Concordance, which you can get, I highly recommend that you grab one of those. You can get one digitally these days. Unless you have a Strong's Concordance that allows you to sort of click on the word and see what the Greek word is, you you won't necessarily know what word it is. So we're doing a word study on the word love so that we can better understand Scripture. And we've been looking at these three different words. Last week we looked at agape love. If you missed it last week, we've got resources online. You can check that out. Agape love is that unconditional love. The Bible says that God is love, and the word in that verse is agape. So the Bible says God is agape. A good word for that would be, I was thinking about, what would a good word be aside from love? A good word would be maybe like covenant. God is covenant or commitment. God is commitment. Because agape love speaks to God's commitment to us even when we screw up. It's God's love for us, his attitude toward us, even when we don't earn it, even when we don't deserve it. So God is commitment. God is covenant. God is love. And that was last week. And then today... We're preaching what I like to call the most awkward sermon of the year because we're talking about Eros love today. So welcome. And if you're new today, please come back next week because we don't usually talk dirty like this. But Eros love in Greek is the word from which we derive our word erotic. Young people, if you see a building out there with the, the word erotic on it, don't go into that building. That's not a building you want to go into. And eros is this romantic love that the Greek culture 2,000 years ago had so distorted that the New Testament authors actually not one time used the word eros in the New Testament. You won't find the word eros anywhere in the New Testament. However, it is a concept that is very much God's concept And so we're going to redeem the concept of eros today, romantic love. We're going to redeem it on Valentine's Day. We thought this would be a great day to redeem eros love. You guys ready for that? Amen. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) Message received. This, yes, that's right. This is the birds and the bees conversation that I'm having. And some of you, it just got real quiet up in here. And uh, in fact, some of you, maybe parents, are nervous for that day, that birds and the bees conversation. And I still remember the day that I had that conversation with my son, AJ, who's now 17 and 6'4". So he towers over me now. He's a big boy. But back when he was about 11, 12 years old, I came home one day and felt inspired by God to have that conversation. Because listen, parents, if you don't have that conversation, somebody's going to have that conversation. You would rather talk about what sexuality, intimacy, according to God's way, you would rather be the one to explain that and help them understand it than have their friends explain it. And so even though I didn't really want to have that conversation, I was, it was awkward for me, I came home, I said, AJ, 
get dressed. We're going into the studio. This was back at the time when we were building, actively building the Pursue God Kids content out. Some of you remember, if you've been here for a while, AJ was in a lot of those videos. Um, AJ was really good on camera, and so he helped explain a lot of stuff. And I thought, what better way to have the birds and bees conversation than to do it on camera live? And here's what happened. Okay, buddy, here's the first thing you need to know. Sex is not a dirty word. Now, I'm not saying you should use the word a lot or even talk about it a whole lot. You should just do that with your parents right now. But you need to know it's not a bad thing. It's not a dirty word. See, sex is something that God made just for marriage. And it's a good thing. Why don't you read that scripture verse? Ephesians 5.31. As the scripture says, man leaves his father and mother and is joined See, what that verse is saying is that God gave us sex as a gift, and it's something for a husband and a wife. So someday, when you get married, you'll learn more about it. You'll learn why it's such a gift. Now listen, sex is more special than your friends even know. As you get a little bit older, you're going to hear this word more and more. You need to know it's a special thing, even if your friends don't think of it like that. So that means you should be respectful when you talk about and that starts today. Well, kids and parents, now you're ready to have a conversation. Use that workbook to help you talk. And we'll see you for the next lesson. So that's actually a three-part uh, parent and kid series on PursueGod.org. If you go to our series page and go down to the family section, you'll see it there. So I encourage you to use that resource. True story. Those were his real reactions when he heard those words. <laughs> He said, Dad, what are we doing? I said, you just sit there in that chair, and I'm going to share some words with you, and you just react naturally. So those were legitimately his reactions. And it's a great way to get that conversation going with your kids. It's helpful for kids, I think, to feel like it's not just you and them, that the kids are a part, that there's another kid a part of that conversation. So I encourage you to have that conversation. In fact, my daughter, who's graduated from college, she's graduating this year from college, She's still a little bit bitter at us. She's like, Dad, you never had that birds and bees conversation with me. And I said, well, my dad still hasn't had it with me either. Okay? So when my dad has it with me, I'll have it with you, honey. And so we're still waiting for that conversation. So we're talking today about eros love. And even though we don't see this word in the New Testament anywhere, because the Greek culture had so distorted it, there's actually a whole book of the Bible that is all about it. And I don't know if you've ever read this. I don't think we've ever studied this book of the Bible before at Alpine. But this is basically going to be a, a, a little 20-minute Bible study on the Song of Songs. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I encourage you to open up there now. It's called the Song of Songs. For some reason, when I was a kid, it was called the Song of Solomon. I don't know if, if some translations call it the Song of Solomon but most translations, at least the NLT, what we use, typically use here, it's called the Song of Songs, and it was attributed to Solomon. And you know it's the only book in the Bible that doesn't reference God or the Lord. Of all the books in the Bible, it doesn't reference God or the Lord. So some people have said, well, maybe this shouldn't be in the Bible. But it should definitely be in the Bible because it talks about 
the love between a husband and a wife. And it is so worth reading. And so we're going to do a little bit of reading from Song of Songs, but not a lot. Because it's the most rated R book in the whole Bible. So it's a great one, husbands and wives, to go read later on. Young people, read it later in life when you get married. But let's go ahead and start with the opening words of Song of Songs, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is Solomon's Song of Songs, more wonderful than any other. Kiss me and kiss me again. This is his fiancé speaking. For your love is sweeter than wine. Take me with you. Come, let's run. The king has brought me into his bedroom. This is one of those things that this was a movie, parents, and you're watching this movie with your kids. You're like fumbling for the remote, you know, to turn this thing off. Like, turn this thing off. Let's watch something else. Where's the Disney Channel? And it only gets more PG-13 as you read it. And then maybe even a little bit rated R as you read a little bit further. And some people might be really offended by that. But I want to just say this. Eros is God's idea. Intimacy is God's idea. This is not something that we in the church or we as Christian parents, this isn't something that we should be awkward. This shouldn't be something taboo because again, if it's taboo, our kids are gonna think that this isn't a God thing, that this isn't a good thing, that it's a dirty thing. It's not a dirty thing. Eros is a good thing. It is, it is, made, it is made into something it shouldn't be in our culture, just like in the Greek culture, but it's actually God's idea, and it's a beautiful, good thing, and that's really the first point. Eros love, our definition, is the physical intimacy between a husband and a wife in marriage. That's what Eros love is, biblically. It's the physical intimacy between a husband and a wife in marriage, and it is a gift from God. It's not dirty. It's not wrong. It is beautiful. Can I get an amen from husbands and wives? Yeah, it's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. Genesis chapter 2 is the first time we learn about it. Verse 18, it says, the Lord God said after he had created Adam, but he hadn't created Eve yet. He says, it is not good. This is the first time in scripture that God says something's not good. What's not good? that man is alone. It's not good that man is alone. If any of you know bachelors that make it too late into life, you're just like, that is just not good. The older you get as a bachelor, the weirder you get. Like, get married already. It is not good for man to be alone. And all the wives said, amen. Amen. Maybe they're not sure about that. The wives are like, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have done this. He's still messed up. But anyway, So it says right there, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. You know that 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 is in reference in part to sexual intimacy within marriage. That being united into one is is talking about many things, but it is also definitely talking about the intimacy that husbands and wives are to have. And it's a good thing. It's a gift from God. There's so much scripture that proves that out. But here's just one in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. It says, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Years ago when our kids were young, AJ was probably seven or eight years old, we we, were, we took our annual trek from Utah to Chicago, and it's about a 23-hour drive, and so we're driving, and, and somewhere in Wyoming, we're like, hey, kids, we're going to read Proverbs together on this trip. We're just going to read it all together. we got plenty of time, 
And so we're going to start from youngest to oldest. So we said, AJ, you read chapter 1. And so AJ read chapter 1, and we talked about it. Then Kenzie read chapter 2, and we talked about it. And then Tracy read chapter 3, and we talked about it. And I read chapter 4, and of course that means it was AJ's turn to read chapter 5 again. So seven-year-old AJ read these words. (laughs) And then we stopped reading Proverbs together as a family. But this kind of concept is all over the Song of Songs. And so let's take a look at it. And we're going to try to be, again, we're going to be respectful of the fact that there are kids here today. But I just want to show you some of this. In chapter 4 it says, You have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. Again, Song of Songs is this love poem that's there's kind of just back and forth between the, the bride, the woman, the young woman that's going to get married to Solomon, and Solomon, the king. And it's just this beautiful love story between these two. In fact, it's one of the earliest, it's one of the very few times in, in, ancient, in ancient literature where a woman is speaking like this to a man. There's a lot of references like that in ancient literature of men speak love songs from men to women, but very few love songs from women to men. And Song of Songs is one of the earliest, which I think is really cool. And so here it is, in cha- by chapter 4, they're married. You should know if you study this and if you read this, that in chapters 1 and 2 and, and in most of chapter 3, they're not married yet. So it's, it's before their wedding day, and then at the end of chapter 3, they get married, and then chapter 4 to the end is speaking about their marriage and their, their time together. And so that's why we see the word bride here, because by chapter 4, he calls her his bride, but not until then. You have captured my heart my treasure, my bride, you hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, with a single jewel of your necklace. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. This, pa- this, chapter, this book is filled with beautiful poetry like this. It really is an awesome book of the Bible. He goes on in, in chapter 8, it says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Again, kind of referencing this covenantal, this vow, this marital vow that they had taken, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy as enduring as the grave. And as we read on in Song of Songs, we're going to see that this is true, and I think many of us will relate to this in marriage. Eros, real biblical Eros, the good kind of Eros, not the bad kind of Eros, not the lust stuff, but the good Eros. Eros intensifies with selflessness. That's the agape love of last week. The more agape you show your spouse, the more eros you'll enjoy with your spouse. So eros is intensified with selflessness, but it's diminished by selfishness. And I want to encourage you, you young people in here, like pay attention to this point because I want you to have eyes open with young women. I want you to have eyes open with the, the young men that are trying to court you. And I want you to look for the agape that's at the root of biblical eros not the, not the Greek concept of eros that is so lust-filled and there's no depth to it. Eros, biblical eros is diminished by selfishness, but it's intensified with selflessness. And in marriage, you guys will know this, husbands and wives, you know this is true, good eros takes work, doesn't it? There's a book out there, if you want a good book, book on this, there's a book, I think the title of the book is Sex Starts in the Kitchen. And before you get carried away with what that might mean, that just means that when you, husbands, when you serve your wives, when you do the dishes, when you love your wife in the kitchen, then it's going to intensify your Eros relationship. It's going to make it 
better for both of you. And that is such a true statement. And we actually see it in the book of Song of Songs. I want to look at this together. In chapter 1, it says in verse 5, this is the bride or the, the fiancé writing. She says, I am dark but beautiful, O women of Jerusalem, dark as the tents of Kedar, dark as the curtains of Solomon's tents. And then she says this really strange thing, that if you don't understand the context for this, you might not understand what she's talking about. She says, don't stare at me because I'm dark. See, back then, if you had a nice, beautiful tan, that wasn't a good thing. Back then, if the more pasty white you could be, the more beautiful you were in their culture to 3,000 years ago. They wouldn't have tanning beds. That would not have been a thing 3,000 years ago. And part of the reason for that is because if you, worked in, if you were a common laborer and you worked in the fields, then you would be in the sun all day and you would be tan. And what that would, the message that that would send to everyone else is that you were a commoner. And so it was more beautiful to be pasty white than to be a commoner. And this is really indicating to us that she probably was a commoner. She was probably a common, a common peasant who is, who is now being engaged to the king, King Solomon. And so here what we see in this, what I want you to see in this is probably some insecurity bubbling up. Does this bring you back to your junior high days, everybody? You know, she's, don't stare at me because I got a zit. You know, don't stare at me because I'm dark. The sun has darkened my skin. So you can see in chapter one, you can see some insecurity in this fiance. And many of you will know that, that the closer you get to someone, the more intimate you get with someone, husbands and wives, how true is this? The more vulnerable you feel, the more it can intensify your insecurities and bring out your insecurities. In fact, we see it in chapter five. In chapter 5, now this is after they're married, but apparently she has a, a nightmare. This apparently is her describing a nightmare that she has. I slept, but my heart was awake when I heard my lover knocking and calling. I opened to my lover, but he was gone. My heart sank. I searched for him, but couldn't find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. What we see here is something that maybe some of you experienced after you got married is just this anxiety that you feel about maybe being left. This anxiety, does he really love me? And I think that's what we see in her. We see this, this young bride that is questioning the love that her husband has for her. And why not? He's the king. And she's just probably a commoner. But I want you to see his response I want you to see the king's response. And in particular, I want you to see how he works for her. I want you to see how intentional he is. And husbands, this is a great lesson for all of us. He says this in chapter 6 in response to this. He says, you're beautiful, my, dar my darling. Even among 60 queens and 80 concubines and countless young women, I would still choose my dove, my perfect one. I love it. He's addressing her anxiety. He's addressing her insecurity. He's addressing her fears with words of affirmation. He's praising her. He's loving her. This is something that I've had to learn to do with my wife, that her love language is words of affirmation. I've had to learn to do that because I'm not natural at that. Arrow, good arrows takes work. If you don't know your spouse's love language, get to know it. And the whole idea there is you want to love them in their love language, not in yours. Not in what comes natural to you. Because it doesn't take work to do what comes natural to you. It takes work to do what they need. To love them the way they want. This would have been hard for me. To use words of affirmation because it's not the way I was raised. It's not in me. It's not what I need. 
And so because I don't need it, it's, I project what I need on my wife. And that's not what she needs. And so that's that work side of love. And here he is, here King Solomon is doing it. In fact, in chapter 7, and we're going to edit this out for the sake of the kids in here, but in chapter 7, we see nine body parts praised by the husband. So here she is, she feels insecure. And in chapter 7, again, I'll let you read that for yourself, husbands and wives. I encourage you to read that later on with your spouse. What a great Valentine's Day reading. Young people, stay away from it, please. But he praises nine body part. It really is pretty incredible. And it's awesome to read, actually. It really is awesome to read. And so then here's her response in chapter 10. I love this. This is the bride now responding. Now that she's been, now that she's been loved by her husband, now that she's been calmed by her husband in her insecurity and in her fear, she says, I am my lover's, and he claims me as his own. I love that. And that probably doesn't mean that that was the end of it. I'm sure he had to continue to come and love, love her the way that she needed to be loved. And I'm sure that if, if we read Song of Songs Part 2, that there'd be more of the same because that's just how marriage is, is there's ups and downs and you're always trying to, to meet each other's needs and love each other the way that you need to be loved. And we're all imperfect at it. But I love the response as far as we can see it here in this, in this chapter that, that she realizes that his love for her is solid and it's not going anywhere. And that's Eros love. That's the way that God intended for it to be in our marriages. And there's one more thing. I know that you young people in here are like, come on, let's get over with it. Let's beat the Baptist to Chili's. Like, I'm done with this. But I've got a message for you today, young people. Today's culture, just like the Greek culture, has a distorted view of Eros. I think that we probably live in a culture, unlike any other culture in history, the only time in history that we're more messed up when it comes to love is probably now. The Greek culture was so jacked up, and I think we're even more jacked up. And so I think that's why I think it's important for us to understand what God's word has to say. And there's a message for you young people in Song of Songs. There's a verse that I want you to memorize from Song of Songs if you're not married yet. And, and the message is to not awaken love until the time is right. We actually see that verse Three different times in this eight-chapter book of the Bible. We see it in chapter 2, verse 7, in chapter 3, verse 5, and then at the very end in chapter 8, verse 4. And here's the, here's the verse that you're going to see repeated three different times. And it's the woman speaking, it's the bride speaking, or the fiancé, actually, in chapter 2 and chapter 3. She says, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. And I actually think in chapter 2 and 3, before she's married, I think she's not just talking to the women of Jerusalem. I think she's talking to herself. I think, you know, sometimes you have to give yourself a little pep talk. Do you remember how the, how the book, Song of Songs, opened up? It was pretty racy. She wasn't even married yet. She's talking about going into the bedroom with the king. And shortly after that, she says, but wait, don't awaken love until the time is right. So we can see she's sort of daydreaming in chapter 1 and a little bit in chapter 2. And then she catches herself and she says, don't awaken love until time, the time is right. And she says it again in chapter 3. Don't awaken love until the time is right. And then she says it again as a married woman in chapter 8 
And now she says it with, I think, a different kind of conviction. I think now she's saying, trust me, it's worth it. Don't awaken love until the time is right. First Corinthians says this, this is Paul speaking. He says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Young people, hear this. Everything we're talking about today, sex is good, it's right, but it's good within the boundaries that God created it for. It is good within the boundaries of, of a committed marital relationship, not just of a committed relationship, but of a committed marital relationship. And I know that sounds so weird to say in 2021. So weird to say when we make fun of the 40-year-old virgin, you know? When we mock that. I, I mean, we, we love The Office, and we watch The Office, and they totally mock that concept that you would save, you would save yourself for marriage. They completely mock it. But yet God's word says, do not awaken love until the time is right. And the time is right when you're married. And again, some of you are like, I can't believe you're saying that. In fact, I bet you, I bet you there's some people in here who are new enough Christians or new enough to a pursuit of God that you're like, are you serious? That real, the Bible really says that? The Bible really says that. In this passage, it says it in Song of Songs, it says it in other places. It's pretty clear that that's God's design for intimacy. He's designed it to be between a husband and a wife in the bonds of marriage. And I want to tell you, I waited. I was 25 when I met Tracy, and I was still a virgin. And when we met, we famously had about a, about a week into our dating relationship, and I sat her down, and I had our I had our contract talk, as we, as we call it now. I say, honey, I said, I didn't call her honey yet. I said, Tracy, you seem really cool. It was actually long ago. You seem really rad. <laughs> it was after groovy, but it wasn't after rad. I said, you seem really rad, and, and I, I think there's something here, but I don't want to awaken love until the time is right. I said, we're not going to cross this boundary. We're not going to be intimate until we're married. And therefore, I'm not going to kiss you until I'm ready to say, will you marry me? Now, some people are like, are you serious? And that's kind of what she said. <laughs> are you serious? And I said, look, for me, I just know how I'm wired. I'm not really sure how I would stop the train if we go there and we don't go here. And so I said, at least for now, I just, I just want to make that commitment. And she committed to that, which was important because she could have totally seduced me. And I told her that. I said, you could seduce me if you wanted to, but I'm asking you not to. <laughs> I said, I'm not that strong. I'm asking you not to. And she didn't. She respected that boundary. And I'm so grateful that she respected that boundary. But I'll tell you young people, and I tell my, I told, tell my kids the same thing. When I, the day I asked her to marry marry her, we, we got rid of that kissing boundary, and that's when it got so difficult. For our engagement now, it was so much harder. By the grace of God, we never crossed that boundary, but it was so much more difficult after we, we eliminated that one boundary. And I just want to tell young people this again. It's in Song of Songs. Do not awaken love until the time is right. Do not awaken love until the time is right. I tell my son that. My 17-year-old, he's almost 18 years old, and I've told him that. Don't awaken love. And it is even more difficult in today's culture. 
because you guys have so much more that's thrown at, thrown at you. But I still believe that you can, that you can honor God in, your, in, in that area of your life. And I believe you will be so glad if you do that. Let's go back to Song of Songs. It says this, just a couple more verses. She says this. Now remember, she's married now, and she's speaking to other younger unmarried women. And she says this, I was a virgin like a wall. And the, the, the term there is, is like she put up a boundary, and she said, nope. It's like a vault. And I'm so grateful that my daughter has done this with young, with young men in her life. In fact, all of her friends in high school said she was like a bank vault. And dad, all the dads said, amen. And I said, great job, honey. Because she, I want her to recognize how precious she is. I don't want her to, be, to feel like she has to open up that vault for just any guy. She understands that she's beautiful. She understands that she's precious. She understands that God loves her and that God has a, a man for her. And, that, and I want that man to treat her like Solomon treated this woman in Song of Songs. She says, I was a virgin like a wall. And then she says this, when my lover looks at me, he is delighted with what he sees. And I love that message in Song of Songs. And I, and I have to say right now, for, for many people in here, because of the culture we live in, for many people in here, right now what's going on inside of you is guilt and shame. And I, I, That is not the intention of this message. It is way more normal in our culture today to do love the way our culture says to do love, to do love the way the Greek culture said to do love. It is way more normal to do love that way than to do eros love the way the Bible says. And I get it, so many people have made mistakes and I want you to know God's grace is enough. It's sufficient and he can make us new and he can restore us and he doesn't hang that sin over our head. So I don't, for the, for the many people in here who are feeling that way, I just want you to know that's not the point of this message I want you to know that you can have freedom, you can have forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and God can make things new, and that's awesome, and that is so true. But I also know there are some people in here that need to hear this message. Do not awaken love until the time is right. And if you did awaken love, you can say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna create a new boundary. We talk to young couples all the time who are, who are dating, who've crossed that boundary, and, they, and then they realize what God's word says, and it goes against our culture. And we say, look, it's okay. Just make a fresh commitment now. Don't cross that boundary. And man, their, their relationships have been blessed when they do that. And so I challenge you to make a commitment to see Eros love the way God says to see it. Because, and I want to end with this passage, because love, Eros, of all the loves, is by far the most dangerous love. Agape isn't dangerous. Phileo, phileo, we'll see next week, isn't dangerous. Eros love is so dangerous. And that's, that's really what I want to end with. It says in Song of Songs, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. Now that can be a good thing or that can be a bad thing. Fire can be good, it can purify, and it can also destroy. And let me just encourage you, Eros love is a flame it is a fire, and it can be purifying or it can be destructive. And I pray that you would, you would look at it God's way, that you would say, God, let me, let me see your greater love. It's so much greater than the world's version of it. This love, the love that we see in Song of Songs, is a greater love because it has at its base agape, the agape love of God. And so I invite you 
to, to sign up for that kind of love. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would help us to receive your instruction today. We don't talk about this hardly at all. I don't know that I've ever preached a message like this before. And so, God, I pray that, that you just would let this truth of your word take root in our hearts. And I pray, God, for young people in here, for the young women and the young men, that you would allow them to make a commitment not to awaken love until the time is right. And I pray for the married couples in here, Lord, that they would be committed to, to have the agape love at the base of their eros love. Lord, that they would love selflessly. And God, that, that you would bless husband and wife for doing so. And I pray for the people in here who are heartbroken today because love is a flame. Love is a fire. And there are many people in here who have just been burned. And I pray for your healing to those hearts. I pray, Father God, that you would be the father we need, that you would be the love that we need, that, you, that your agape would cover over a multitude of sins, sins that we've committed or sins that were committed against us. And God, I pray that we would live in a new freedom and a new kind of love, a greater kind of love. And I pray that that would be true for your glory and for our good. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.